0: Well, I think uh, this is a good era, a good time to be a superhero fan. It seems like there's a new superhero movie coming out just about every month. What, this past month it was Superman versus Batman? I haven't seen it. Don't really know who wins, but uh, I'm sure I'll see it sometime. But it seems like that, that Avengers bunkhouse is getting pretty full with new superheroes that keep coming out. And I think one of the things that we like about Superheroes in those superhero movies. It's just easy to tell who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, right? It's so clear. Batman's the good guy. The Joker is the bad guy, right? Thor is good. Loki is evil. Captain America is good. Hydra is bad. We like that kind of clarity. Easy camps to pick. We like that in our lives, too, in our world. We often do that with our politicians, don't we? They're either all good or they're all bad, right? Someone like Washington and Lincoln, they are just the perfect presidents ever, right? And then there's some that we say they're all bad. They're all evil. We do it with our sports teams, our sports heroes. The Detroit Tigers, of course, are all good. The New York Yankees, of course, are all evil. That's the way it works, right? All good, all bad. We do it with our Bible characters, right? David, Abraham, Moses, heroes, Ahab, Pilate, Pharaoh, villains. We like that, easy. All good, all bad. All heroes, all villains. The best and the worst. And that's what made me pause for a while before choosing our villain for this morning. If you remember, we're, we're having a short series looking at some of the villains that show up in Jesus' death and resurrection story. We don't often look at them in the middle of our Easter and Lent journey. And, and with hesitation, I chose Peter as our villain this morning. And you wonder, how can that be, right? Peter, who is one of the most well-known New Testament heroes, how can he also be a villain? I was reminded over this past month month, often of what a hero Peter is. As we traveled in Roman Catholic Spain and and all those cathedrals that we went to, Peter was, was one who was highly regarded. In their tradition, right? They they pay special attention, give special honor to the apostles and the saints of old, and none more highly than the two of, of Peter and Paul. In fact, I took this picture, I asked him to put this picture up for me of this is at again the, the cathedral in Barcelona that I talked about last week. And and this is the high altar, which is the most sacred place in these cathedrals. That's where the, the bread and the juice of communion are. Are, are, are prepared and served from and, and beautifully above this high altar is this sculpture that's suspended uh, it's called the crucifixion of jesus a bronze sculpture that's just gorgeous and if you notice it's suspended by these cables up here uh, what you can't see on this picture is that they're hooked onto the a pillar on each side and this each pillar is is given a name this is the paul pillar and this is the peter pillar Right? And so that's how highly regarded Paul and Peter are, that, that, that Jesus himself is held up by the pillars of the church, Peter, the pillar of the church, Paul, highly regarded, right? The pillars of the church, that's how honored they are. And so how in the world could this Peter who's so highly regarded, almost untouchable, be a villain as well? You know, the truth is, none of our saints, none of our apostles, including Peter, are always the great heroes we make them out to be. None of our heroes are, right? Besides Jesus himself, nobody is ever a complete hero. Nobody's ever completely what we wish or sometimes think them to be, right? Batman and Iron Man aren't always great. And I'll admit it, the Yankees aren't always evil, okay? Some of them are pretty good. But there's, we like to divide everything into pure, pure evil, pure good. It's not the way it works. Abraham had deception, a deceiving streak in him. Moses had an anger streak in him. David's lust led him to adultery and murder. That line between being a hero and a villain sometimes is extremely thin and and it's easy to flip from being a hero in one moment to being a villain in the next. And Peter did that flip-flopping as well. Right? Peter is a spiritual hero, but we can't ignore the truth that in Jesus' story, Peter is also taking on the role of the villain. Right? It's Peter who was at the center of what probably was one of the most heart-wrenching, heartbreaking moments of Jesus' life. So so this morning, let's walk through some of Peter's life and see the ups and downs of his spiritual journey. We get to see Peter, first of all, in John chapter 1, when when he's called to be a hero by Jesus from the very beginning. When we first meet Peter in John chapter 1, he's a simple fisherman. He's in business with his brother Andrew and and the business partners of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Peter shares a home with his wife and his mother-in-law and his brother Andrew in the town of Capernaum. And when Jesus first meets him, when he first sees Jesus, his name isn't Peter. His name is Simon. And Jesus sees Simon come to him. He immediately looks at him and he says to him, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, which is Greek for the word rock Simon Cephas Peter the rock and from that moment on he is Peter the rock and as Frederick Buechner puts it the a rock isn't the the prettiest thing in all creation and it also isn't the smartest thing in all creation but there's no nonsense about a rock right a big boulder Once it settles down, it's pretty much there to stay. You're not going to move it very easily. There isn't a lot you can do to change it. There's not a lot you can do to crack it. You can depend on a rock just about as much as you can depend on anything. And Jesus depended on Peter. So he gave him the nickname, The Rock. And it stuck. From that moment on, he could stop fishing for fish, and he started becoming a fisher of men, a fisher of people instead. And again and again and again throughout the Gospels, Peter rises up like to those rock-like expectations that Jesus sets for him, right? It's Peter who rises up to be the leader of this band of 12 disciples. He's the one who has the courage to step out of the boat and to walk on the water when Jesus was walking on the water. You know, sometimes we, we kind of... We kind of tear Peter down a little bit because he walked three steps and then quickly his faith began to question and he began to sink, right? Well, no one else even got out of the boat. No one else even had the courage to step out. So Peter had that courage. Jesus, I'm going to follow your footsteps, even if it means walking on water. And last week, we reflected on the moment when Jesus is walking with his disciples and he has that moment of honesty with them and he asks them the question, What about you? Who do you say that I am? And and it's Peter who, after probably an awkward pause, it's Peter who stands up and he declares boldly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we need to understand what it took for Peter to be able to speak those words. If, if, If Peter's right about that, If that's true that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, then everything's about to change. Then then Jesus is about to turn this nation and this world upside down. And it would take courage for Peter to recognize that Jesus is more than just any other traveling rabbi who's teaching his way around the country, gathering disciples. He's saying, no, you're different than everybody else. You are the Christ You are the Messiah that we've been waiting for. If he's right, that takes a lot of courage to stand up and declare that. And if he's wrong, then he's in big trouble. Peter must have known when he spoke those words that these are words that could get him killed. This, in that era, is blasphemy. This is speaking forbidden words about God, and the punishment for blasphemy is stoning. It's death. Peter could have been killed just for thinking these words, let alone speaking them. And yet he has the courage to stand up and speak and say, I'll say it, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And for his courage in speaking that truth, Jesus gives Peter a blessing unlike any other blessing. Here's what he says to him in response. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on Earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on Earth will be loosed in heaven. He puts a stamp of approval on Peter, the rock. He makes it clear that that Peter is the hero, the foundation upon which he's going to build his church. And he goes on to promise, Peter, here, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yes, it's Jesus who had the final say of, of who's in and out. But according to faithfulness and his grace, but it's Peter who had the honor of proclaiming it. Peter quickly becomes the rock. But there's cracks in this rock. There's moments when Peter is more of a villain than a hero. Remember, it's Peter, this rock, who defies Jesus so vehemently when Jesus first reveals his plan. He's walking with his disciples, and and he decides to reveal to them what's going to happen. He tells them, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again. And it's Peter who, who stands up and says, never, Jesus. I'll never allow that to happen. I will not let you die. And Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Whoa, this is to Peter. He's looking Peter in the eye when he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter is a rock who's now blocking Jesus' path. He's a rock trying to cause him to stumble on this journey that God had given him. And, and I think this mix of hero and villain probably comes through most clearly at the very end. The last few hours before Jesus dies. In John chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's a Thursday evening and Judas has just left the room. He's gone to to betray Jesus, to make the arrangements that's gonna happen later on that night. To the remaining disciples in that upper room, Jesus reveals again what is soon going to happen. He tells them that he's soon going someplace and they will not be able to follow. Jesus needs to do this alone. They will not be able to join him in this journey. And in John chapter 11, you get to hear Peter's boisterous, heroic voice come up again. Right, And Peter kind of stands up and says, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. I, I'll do anything for you. I will be your hero in this night, Jesus. I'll be your rock. You can count on me no matter what. Even if everybody else abandons you, not me. Well, in John chapter 18, we get to see how that promise turns out. For Peter. Take out your Bibles if you haven't already to John chapter 18. In, in, in the chapters in between, Jesus has been arrested. He's been arrested in the garden. He's taken to the high priest's headquarters where the first phase of his trial will begin at the break of dawn. And it's under the cover of the darkness of night that, that this rock, Peter, this rock, crumbles. John chapter 18, start at verse 15 with me. So, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Skip over to verse twenty-five, with me now. The story continues. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, "You're not one of his disciples, are you?" He denied it, saying, "I I am not." One of the high priest's servants, a a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Peter denies Jesus and the rooster crows. The, The sign that Jesus gave Peter before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. And when Luke, in his account of this story, tells us, tells us this. He says that just as the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And it's then that Peter remembered what Jesus told him. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine that look? That look from Jesus' to Peter, who just denied him. Peter, the one that he loved so much, Peter, the one who he counted on his rock, had just crumbled to dust before him, had turned his back completely on him and abandoned him, and Jesus looked him deep in the eye. It's a powerful moment of hurt and disappointment and pain. You've probably gotten a taste of it. If you've ever been betrayed by someone you you loved and trusted, a spouse who cheats on you, a business partner who, who undercuts you, a confidant who fails to keep your secret, a family member who lies and betrays you. It's one of the deepest hurts possible. It's a wound, those kind of wounds don't get healed quickly. And in our lives, that's the definition of a villain, right? And that's Peter. This rock crumbles to a pile of dust right before Jesus' eyes, and the pain of that denial, that pain of that betrayal, cuts Jesus to the very core. And Peter, the hero, takes his place as Peter, the villain. And often in our lives, that's the end of the story. When we have been hurt and betrayed like that, that's the end. Right? When somebody earns that label villain because they've hurt us, that label doesn't quickly disappear. But for Jesus, that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus does not give up on Peter at that moment. He doesn't look Peter in the eye and say, you failed me, I'm done. He doesn't let that villain label stick. Right? In John John chapter 21... We get to see what Peter does. Peter does his best to forget about this painful moment, right? Remember, he has this moment of denial, of betrayal, and then Jesus is let off and and he's executed. He doesn't get a chance to to say he's sorry. And so he's living in these days with this this, this sorrow, this disappointment of his failure, the guilt that comes with it. And, And in his eyes, in his perspective, it's all done, He's failed, it's over, and so he goes back to, to do what he's familiar with, To goes back to life before Jesus, right? He goes back to fishing. He hops in the boat and he goes out at night to fish. He spends the night fishing, catches nothing, and, and as the sun is coming up, he sees the risen Jesus on the shore, and Jesus fills his nets with fish, and, and they come on shore, and Jesus lights a fire, and... And takes the fish and cooks them breakfast, right? And, and so they're sitting in this, in this camp, around the campfire with Jesus. And listen to what, what the conversation sounds like at verse 15 of chapter 21. Jesus is sat down next to Peter. and says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is a true picture of grace, right? In grace, Jesus doesn't allow Peter to remain a villain in his story. He cancels out Peter's three denials with three confessions of love. He sits down around a campfire and and he says, Peter, do you really love me? I know you denied me. I know three times you said you don't even know me. But tell me three times that you love me. And each time he teaches Peter then what it means to be a hero. What it means to be the rock that he's called him to be. And he's telling them in the kingdom of God, being a hero does not mean that you have to be boisterous and talk boldly and make big promises. In the kingdom of God, being a hero doesn't mean that you need to do spectacular things and walk on water and do miracles. That's not what it means, Peter. In the kingdom of God, he says, heroes are the ones who love. Do you love me? Then love my people. Heroes love Jesus and love his people. And that's what Jesus invites Peter to do. That's who Jesus invites Peter to be. The rock upon which he can now build his church. An imperfect rock? Yes. A rock that's part hero and part villain. A rock that's a lot like you and a lot like me. Because every single one of us is part hero and part villain. We've got them both inside of us. You see, on one hand, each one of us is an image bearer of God. You have the image of God, the Spirit of God inside of you. And there's times when that image of God comes comes rushing out through us and 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 we do things that God would love for us to do and we're obedient and we're loving and we're gracious and we're giving. And and there's moments when, when I think God is really proud of us. Moments of spectacular holy satisfaction when the image of God is shining in us and through us. And on the other hand, each one of us has the darkness of sin tucked deep into our soul. And that darkness shows up and it comes out in ugliness. We're ugly towards this world. We're ugly towards the people in our lives. We're exactly the opposite of who God calls and wants us to be. We all have moments of spectacular failure when we break Jesus' heart too. When he looks us in the eye and says, really? Really? We're both heroes and villains inside of us. And yet Jesus refuses to give up on us. He refuses to throw that relationship away when when our villain side comes out. No matter how many times you fail him, no matter how many times you deny him, no matter how many times you betray him, no matter how many times you disappoint him and break his heart, no matter how many times you and I rightly earn that label villain, and we do. Jesus will not let that label stick. He won't let it stick on you just like he didn't let it stick on Peter. In grace, Jesus comes to you and he comes to me and he invites us back. He, sits, he wants to sit down with us around the fire. And he wants to have a conversation with us. And in that conversation, he invites us back again. He invites us To accept his grace and then to love him and love his people. He invites us to be the rock upon which he can build his church and can build his kingdom. And he invites you and me to be heroes in his kingdom. Not that we're perfect, because we aren't. But we're forgiven. That That villain label is washed away. And we're welcomed back in grace. So what does that mean for you and me to be a hero? in the kingdom of God. Well, it certainly doesn't mean that we're perfect, because none of us is. We all have that villain inside of us, right? Peter wasn't perfect, neither are we. So being a hero means, first of all, that we honestly deal with that brokenness, that we honestly deal with our failures, that we honestly deal with the sin in our lives. You and I, We need to, first of all, sit down and have an honest and intimate conversation with Jesus, just like Peter did, sitting around that campfire, sitting around that meal with nothing to do but to be honest with each other. That's where you and I need to start with Jesus. We need to sit down around that campfire, or maybe it's around your kitchen table, or maybe it's in that quiet place where you meet with God, and we need to have an honest conversation with him. Because the temptation will be, when we've been villains, when we have failed Jesus, the temptation will be to let the relationship go, right? It's too painful to go back to that. It's too painful to address that. I failed, it's done, it's over, like Peter thought. But we need to sit down around that kitchen table have an honest conversation with Jesus and to confess those villainous parts of our lives. Confess those times when we have We've been pierced by the look of Jesus because we know we failed him miserably. We need to confess those times when we have profoundly hurt him. And if we're willing to do that hard work of repairing the relationship instead of just giving up and throwing it away, then we're going to discover that Jesus is so eager to restore that relationship. He's so eager to have that conversation. He's so eager to give that forgiveness and that grace. He's so eager to erase that that label of villain. He doesn't want it to stay. He doesn't want it to stick. And he will restore that relationship that's broken. And then within that honest conversation, he'll invite you and he'll invite me to accept our calling to be a hero in his kingdom for his purposes. To to renew our life purpose to more and more love Jesus and love his people. Exactly what he taught Peter. It's the same thing for us. That's how you and I become heroes. Not by doing great and mighty things that will impress people, but by loving Jesus more and loving his people more. Those are the heroes in the kingdom of God. So in that conversation with Jesus, we need to then listen to him. We need to ask the question, okay, what, Lord, does it take for me to love you more? I don't know what the answer is for you. That's something for you to have a conversation with God about. Okay, if I want to be more of a hero, what's my next step in loving you more? And what's my next step in loving your people more? Who are you going to give me to love? How do you want me to love them? What's the next even small step? Because that's the heroic step. Love Jesus more. Love his people more. Those are the rocks upon which our God builds his kingdom. And that can be you. That can be me. Every one of us in this room is both hero and villain. We've got it both inside of us. And Satan wants you to judge yourself and to judge everybody with broad strokes. All heroes or all villains, right? Because if that's the way we do it, then there's only one option. We're all villains. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are like Paul where the good we want to do, we don't do. and that the, the evil that we don't want to do, that's what we end up doing. We're all like that. Yet by God's grace, none of us needs to be defined by our failures. By God's grace, none of us needs to wear that label, villain. By God's grace, all of us can be forgiven heroes for his kingdom purposes. Just follow the pattern that Jesus set with Peter. Sit down with Jesus, let his grace empty the villain inside of you of all its power, its power to make you feel guilty. It's power to to condemn you. And let Jesus empower you then by his strength to be his hero who loves him more, who loves his people more. The risen Jesus invites you, despite all the weaknesses that you know, despite all of our weaknesses, he invites us to be his rocks, to be his hero. Let's pray for that together. God, you know us more than we know ourselves. There's so much in our lives, so many secrets that we keep, so much brokenness, sin, failure, betrayal, disappointment that we hide under our put-together lives that we would be ashamed if the person sitting next to us knew about it. Father, we try and hide it from each other. And too often, we try and hide it from you. And in the meantime, we break this relationship that you so desperately want to have. Jesus, you willingly sit around our kitchen table in our favorite living room quiet spot, and you wait for us because you want this relationship to be made whole. You want to to apply your forgiving grace to our lives and wash away that label of villain from us. You're just waiting for us to come to you. So, Father, give us the courage to have that kind of intimate conversation with you. And we'll have to have it again and again. Because you know our fallenness. You know our inability to withstand temptation. But give us the courage to have that conversation. To be forgiven and set free. To rebuild that relationship with you. And then give us the courage, Father, to listen to you. When you call us to love you more. To understand what that means. To have the courage... To follow you when you ask us to love your people more. In small ways and large ways, Father, you're going to give us opportunities to be your hands and feet. to Let the image of God shine through us. Give us the courage to do that. So that for your glory, we might serve you. We might be the rock upon which you can build your kingdom. All for you, Jesus. May we give ourselves completely, heroically for you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to respond with a song that really brings us back to Peter's breakfast fire on the beach. Because that relationship easily could have been over. It could have been done after that kind of betrayal and that kind of hurt. And yet Jesus has a grace for Peter and a grace for all of his children that refuses to let go. That refuses to say, I'm done with that relationship. And so knowing our weaknesses, knowing sometimes we're, we're heroes and sometimes we're villains, Jesus says, come back to me. I'll give you the grace. And I'll give you the strength to be who I've called you to be. Use this song to celebrate that grace and to let that grace be a part of your life as well. Let's sing together.